Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year And to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. What's up? This is Ryan Stasek from Humphreys McGee. This podcast is part of the Osiris Podcast family. Osiris is a growing community of music and culture podcasts, connecting music fans with conversation, commentary, and of course, lots of music. Osiris works in partnership with Relics Magazine. Osiris. They tried to make me go to rehab. I said no, no. 
This is Helping Friendly Podcast. This is episode 147. This is RJ. I'm here with Matt. Hey, man. Hi, Matt. How's it going? Um, I'm great. Um, Jonathan cannot be with us today. And um, Brad, do you know where Brad is? He is. Well, Brad's funded by the government. Uh, so he's shut down right now. He's not allowed to work. <laughs> That's good. Uh, so Brad will be back once we build the wall. Um, so... <laughs> You hear a couple other people in the background. We we have a we have a fun episode. Um, it's a little bit different, but we think it's going to be fun and an important um, sort of t- discussion to have. Um, we've heard a lot from Trey recently about his experience with addiction and recovery, particularly in the Sirius X, XM Ask Trey features. Um, he got really open about that, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Um, but of course this, this issue of recovery and, and addiction and all that goes beyond Trey and touches a ton of people in our community. And our two guests today have direct experience with this. So we're going to talk to them about their fish journeys and their, their personal journeys and, and also just about the fish community and, and where we are as a community with, with all these things and what we can do to, to kind of help each other out. So, um, and then we'll play some fish music. Um, so Mike Ferguson is our first guest who's, I think has been, you've been on a quick hit before, right, Mike? I have. Yeah. I was yeah. on, uh, for the LA shows this summer. Yeah. So welcome back and thanks for doing that. How you doing? Happy, happy to be here. Happy cool. to be here. Really, really glad to be talking about this. And, uh, you know, after a hot new year's Eve, that's, uh, this seems like a good time to do a podcast anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And our, our other guest is Jason, um, who we've been talking to about this topic for, for a while now, Jason, you reached out, I think over the summer. Um, and now it's finally, finally have a chance to talk. So thanks for joining. Yeah. I finally beat you into a state of submission. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the timing is good. And it's like I said, it's a, it's an important, important topic. And I do think just before we get into it, I think we should just thank the people at Sirius XM for doing the Ask Trey stuff. Cause that, that's been really amazing. We've heard so much, so many nuggets and so much depth about Trey and his life and, and music and all that, you know, you guys, I'm sure have listened to all this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess before we get into it, Matt, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the fish world. There's Mexico's coming up in what, a month? Actually 46 days from today that, uh, when we're recording this. Nice. Not that you're, not that you're counting. No, my I only know because my wife like shouted it. She must have seen it on Facebook in the fish chicks or something like that. And she shouted it from the other room earlier. She's like, 46 days till we're in Mexico. So we're getting ready for that. I'm uh, dieting and doing lots of crunches, getting bathing suit ready. <laughs> the only time for fish that you have to like get yourself physically fit uh, in order to be presentable for at a fish show. <laughs> That's fair. Um, and we have Ghosts of the Forest coming to DC, and they're they're doing going through the Northeast. Are they coming near you guys at all, Jason or Mike, or no? No, not not me. No, 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 yeah. uh, no. not coming. They're out, out here. I have tickets. Oh, you do have tickets. Awesome. Is that LA? Yeah, they're playing in LA. Nice. That'll be great. That's. That's uh, April, April ish. So we got some stuff coming up and then hopefully summer tour. The one, the one other thing I want to mention is the, um, Amy's farm video that was released on fish.net, I guess, two days ago. 
That was pretty cool. Did you guys get a chance to check that out? Yeah, I, I did. Yeah, it was, uh, it was incredible. incredible. Yeah, I, I watched a good chunk of it last night. Uh, it's really, really amazing. Um, I, I, there was a little bit of video that floated around from that before, but nothing like this that's like cut cut together from different angles. And the guy had uh, apparently, you know, great access, like gets right up next to Fishman occasionally. And um, it's just so cool to see, you know, the scene and what it looked like at that point. And, um, uh, you know, the the state of the band at that point, um, they, they look like kids but they're also like so professional by that point <laughs> it's pretty amazing it's like the f- it feels like that's when the polish started to go on like in a good way like they, yeah. they stopped being as messy i don't know it was, yeah. it's wild to watch because i think about like okay i was nine when that was shot so i don't like my fish memory does not go back that far so yeah. it's really interesting to see yeah. like Oh, this is where the superheroes that I saw for the first time in 98 came from. Yeah. And I think, um, and, and, and I had the same experience. I love going back and seeing, you know, stuff from that era when I couldn't conceivably have been seeing fish shows. Um, I can't, I can give myself a full pass on that for not, <laughs> not having been there. But I think RJ, you, I think you probably noticed the same thing that I was actually kind of shocked by last night when I put it on what happens at the very, very beginning of the show. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't remember that from the tapes. Like, obviously I had these tapes, but, um, Fishman talking about the 2020 vision or something. Yeah. Vision 2020. Yeah. Um, it's just, he was up there talking about state and local government and issues and advocacy and, you know, exactly the same thing he's doing now, however many decades later. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, one thing I noticed too, was that, uh, nobody had cell phones and everybody was paying attention or chatting or talking. <laughs> it's like nobody was tweeting anything. It was just, uh, that was, uh, something I picked up quickly. It's like, yeah, yeah it's totally different. Sig- significantly less vaping too. <laughs> yeah. Less vaping and way more people with very short shorts on. Um, it, it, it looked like there, there's a lot of photos on the fish.net um, posts, which are cool. And, um, the, the one thing that was cool, this guy, uh, Matt, who, uh, released this video, he released it and, and encouraged people to, to donate to the mockingbird, uh, which is obviously the organization behind fish.net. So that was cool. And, and always good to raise awareness of, of what mockingbird does and the great stuff they're, they're up to. Matt, did you, did you have these tapes or, or CDs? I mean, was Amy's farm like something that you had early on in your fandom because in the tape trading days it was just like it was one of the first things that you got automatically yeah i i don't know that i um if i had it like on cd back when i was you know first started and was collecting um tapes or cds or anything like that but i've heard it a lot over the years um i don't i don't always go back to the like the pre 93 ish days that that often um i you know it's great stuff but i usually go for the years when they started to jam a little bit more yeah um but this but of the early stuff that's definitely one show that i've heard you know over and over again that that and arrowhead ranch from the same summer Right, right, yeah, which is which is so widely circulated. So we'll we'll post a link to that in case anyone hasn't seen it. But that was a pretty cool thing to to come up come up this week. Is there anything else going on in the fish world that we should talk about, Matt? From your perspective, I don't think so. I mean, I think we're we're sort of entering the quiet time of the year, so um, it's good for us to be able to take a step back from the ongoing, you know, current tour and music and everything like that, and take it take a broader look at the community as we're we're going to today. Yeah. And I just want to say, uh, everyone knows that we're part of the Osiris network and one of the, our podcasts, uh, which is called dark blue 
touches on a lot of the topics that we're going to touch on today. Uh, this this guy, Jeff Rickley, who's the singer and songwriter for a band called Thursday, he started this podcast, Dark Blue, earlier this year, and he talks to a bunch of um, artists and, and people in the arts outside of sort of the jam band genre, but talks about re- recovery and addiction and all kinds of mental health issues. And so if you really like what you hear here, you might want to check out check out that podcast. So let's dive in, Matt. Um, shall we? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we have, uh, you know, as, as RJ mentioned, um, Jason and Mike, um, who have been open about uh, their their road to recovery from substance abuse, um, and wanted to, to talk about, um, you know, how they see the, the experience for themselves and for others. And especially in light of the fact that Trey has been very open about his own experience, uh, over the past 12 years or so. Um, and, and including the recent ask Trey, um, interview on, on Sirius. Um, so let's, let's start out by just kind of setting the stage. Um, maybe you guys can tell us a little, a little bit about your own, uh, history with fish and maybe how, um, your recovery kind of intertwines with that. So, um, Jason, why don't we start with you? Sure. Um, so my, I guess my, my experience with fish is kind of, is a backwards kind of introduction. Like I saw the last dead show. I, I, I saw the dead before I heard fish. Um, no, actually I heard fish before I saw the dead. And then I, um, ended up somehow getting to see the last dead show and it it was it was good and it was it was okay but that same fall 95 is when um i saw my first show 10 21 95 lincoln nebraska um we got there early you know ended up getting i mean this was i think persian auditorium held like 6100 people and we were right up front like just walked right into general admission and and ga and walked like two two people deep from the front, maybe four or five, but we were right there. And I knew maybe probably 50% of the songs, but I knew Tweezer reprise and they opened up with that. And, uh, (laughs) yeah, it was game on. I mean, literally, um, just all about it from that moment on, just fell in love with fish, fell in love with Trey, my, everybody, the whole, the whole thing was just kind of at that time was just, you could feel, it felt like a happening, right? Like something was changing. Like, I mean, Jerry had died and like whatever happened there, something shifted maybe a little bit. Um, but I caught it right at that time where they were just kind of getting into their, that peak. You guys had done the, the cast about the, you know, that, that 95 and that December, but um, I just caught it at that time. And I, and I think it just, it hooked me and I ended up being able to um, had a, a family member, actually my, my sister-in-law, her, one of her good friends was their caterer. And I didn't know it until the, uh, the Fox shows, that fall and ended up uh got invited down to atlanta and got to go backstage and hang out and sit in the dressing room and watch mike gordon talk to to young ladies and while we're <laughs> cleaning clean, cleaning up their silverware literally i got he's like hey can you give us a hand we're trying to get out of here and like this guy johnny was his name and, and i'm like washing like in the, the back of the fox theater washing silverware at a fish show and um <laughs> so i was able to without getting into any detail and all about that was able to be backstage at quite a few shows between like 95 and and uh big cypress and saw was at a lot of really good shows at fall fall you know 96 tour was at halloween uh was at the nutter center show um just a lot of good shows and a lot of good times and um and that's where it started and then once fish went on their first we were at big cypress and then once fish went on that that first hiatus that was it for me until 2015 
Um, didn't go back to see him when they came back. And because uh, I remember going to see him. No, I did. I went to no the summer of 2000 in Nashville was when I noticed that something we were we were hanging out. And we were backstage and in the in the lot, and something had shifted. You know, as far as what was going on going on outside, and then what was going on, you know, back behind the scenes too. It was just it got it was getting weird and getting weird fast. So, um, you know, and I was starting to to head down that, you know, believe me, I, I was happy it was going bad because I was one of the ones that was, you know, partaking of the stuff that, um, you know, that just is not, not conducive to, to being functional. And, um, so after that, I didn't see fish again until 2015 at Alpine. So I had a 15 year hiatus of my own, but, um, so yeah, over I think like 98 shows in in 1.0, and then probably a handful in uh, 3.0. But you know, we could talk forever about that. But uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's uh, just blessed to have been able been a part of that that 95 to to 2000 when it was just a really special time. So yeah, Jason, what was it that got you to go back in 2015? Um, <clears throat> sobriety. You know, it really was. It was like I felt comfortable enough and, and things had settled down. Um, went with a group of people who were sober. And uh, and, and I, I, I'm still this way to the, to the day. Um, I, I can't do the – I don't say I can't. I don't, I, don't, I don't like being on the lawn. I don't like being in the back. I don't like being – I like being close. I was able to be really close and just part of, you know, what it is, what it feels like to be, you know, in that, that first – few rows and uh so uh, made it up front at alpine and it, it was so cool and to know that that uh the person that you you admire not admire but the person you really you know pay a lot of respect to as a musician is up there doing his thing um night in and night out night in and night out sober and it was and that's what brought me back i really do believe that so that's cool and you got a you got a live fish release of your first show which is cool yeah, I'm, it was a hot show. I'm sure everybody thinks their first show is their best show, or you should, but um, listening back to it. Yeah, and it's funny. You can get on the live fish video and see my goofy head with a baseball hat bouncing around up front. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's me. That's me. Nice. So, yeah, so that's about it. Yeah. Excellent. Mike, how about you? Um, where did things start with uh, for you with fish? Yeah, um, I mean, I was so I grew up in a house that was pretty musical, and my dad was super into like prog rock. So we had a there was like a lot of yes played in my house growing up. So fish was really natural when I walked into it, and um, you know, it was the older brother of a friend of mine put on. I think it was either a live one or a tape from '93 or uh, something along those lines, and hearing Harry Hood and being like, "Oh, I got it." got it. Like, this is it. This is what I'm going to do now. And, uh, um, my first show was 98 at UIC. So, um, yeah, I got my first show. I got a bag ghost rebuff second set with a farmhouse as a capper. So it wasn't bad. And an acoustic driver that Trey played and he played something else acoustic too. And I can't remember it right now, but, um, was it Brian? It might've been Brian and Robert. Uh, but yeah, it was, I mean that the energy at those shows. And I, I think for me, similar to when we get into talking about addiction, I, I was always looking for community. And with fish, it was there and it was everywhere. And if you wanted to go on tour, you could go on tour and be with these people for as long as you want. So I got to a good amount of shows in, you know, 98, 99, 2000. And then 
Um, I got sidetracked a little bit, which we'll get into uh, during the 2003, 2004. So um, my my fish hiatus started after the Deer Creek shows in 03. And then um, I came back uh, for Hampton and when, when they came back from hiatus. So, and I've seen a bunch of shows in 3.0 and all my 3.0 shows have been sober. So it's, it's interesting to think about like uh, coming back to fish with a different mindset and hearing what came of the band when Trey came back as a, as somebody who was sober, just, it's been interesting. So, uh, I've, I've loved, I've gone to way more shows sober than I have using and, um, and the sober shows, it just feels, it kind of feels like going to church, but in the good way, like how, mm-hmm. how I assume church <laughs> used to feel like 50 years ago. And, um, like we're just, we're all here for the same purpose and everybody's there to have a good time. And we're all here to connect with each other and connect with the music. And you can be whoever you are that night and be present and, and, you know, you can stand next to, or at least for me, I can stand next to somebody on a 10 strip and we can both hear the same notes and just be like, yeah, we're here. We're and we're in this. And that's, that's an amazing thing. I don't think there are many places on earth where we get that. No. Yeah. And just so on that point, Mike, uh, the, one of the things that came up in the ask Trey segment, uh, one of the questions was about how Trey's spiritual life and fish interact. And he, the answer was, there's a lot, lot packed in that like three or four minutes, but one of the things that he says at the end is that he, when he goes out there, he looks out into the crowd and tries to imagine or, or think about someone in the crowd who might be trying to get sober or, or who's seeing a show sober. And I think the four of us probably understand that fish and sobriety can, can go well together. But I think that from the mainstream perspective on fish or the Grateful Dead or anything, it's like the whole point, right, is to go and, and get fucked up and do drugs. And um, I, I'm sure that's not how a lot of fish fans see it, but that's sort of one of the stereotypes is that what is it like? Is it, is you just described it in a way that seems like it's not even really that big of a deal, but I think for a lot of people who are maybe getting sober or thinking about going back to fish after getting sober might be a little worried about it. Yeah. I mean, similar to, I think about like, I skipped the Oh four shows, even though I was sober, like I could have gone to Coventry. It could have done Alpine was close to where I was. And, um, and I thought about it and I just thought I didn't necessarily want to put myself in that environment, but it was my call. It wasn't necessarily the, and, and the call I talked to my support group around me and said, you know, this is a band that I love. That's really important to me, but I'm worried about being on the scene. And I think what has really resonated for me through the years of now going to, what, like 95 fish shows sober, I think, at this point, is like, as long as I have community, I'm good. And I know where my community is and I stick mm-hmm. with my tribe. I'm, I'm pretty good. And, and as, you know, the longer I've been sober or the longer I've been going to shows and then you build a little community. And, you know, I'm, I was talking to Jason offline the other day just about going to Alpine uh, for the first time in what was it, 2012, I think they were back there. And, and that was like my home show. That's where I got into a bunch of trouble on the last time I was there and, and getting back and going to see it with new eyes and like get in the pit and really just get that humid Midwest sweat of dancing to a ripping jam and fish. Yeah. Just like, it was awesome. And, um, and it kind of gave me a new experience for Alpine. Cause my last show at Alpine was super dark and that was like, okay, I can do this a little bit differently and I can be with all of these people. And, um, I think that 
the promise of fish to me is that you're a person among people when you're there and that's it. And nobody cares and nobody judges and you go. And I think that's what the Grateful Dead was like, too, from what I've been, you know, from the stories I've heard and what I've been told is like that's that's the entire idea. So there's room for us to be sober. There's room for people to be passing out at shows. It happens. And the good part is, I think at least that, you know, I think about fish. It's like, what other concert do I go to where I can go to at set break to find a hundred sober people just waiting to talk? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there there aren't any. Yeah. Then we're going to get into that because we do want to talk a little bit about the resources that exist for, for fans. Um, Jason, you talked a little bit about going to shows with, with your group of, of sober fans and friends, what, what's the experience like now and, and how is it different and how, what does it look like to you? Yeah, I think my kid right on the head is like, and I've just kind of learned this, um, to, to, to seek counsel on a lot of things. Like if I'm going to do this, like I need to make sure I'm kind of open with, with people, what's going on and making sure like, um, like I have, like he said, I have my tribe, my crew with me. And, you know, my experience was, it's like, it's, I don't, I don't know if it's better. It's just different. And it's just like, I, I remember standing in, um, you know, we were at the, uh, Rosemont shows and, uh, and being able to like be right in the middle of that moment in the no man's, you know, jam and like, wow, this is so much different than what it used to be where I'd have to go back and like, listen to it again. And like, like, I don't, I, I barely remember even being there. And, um, and I think, I think the key to it is I would never, you know, expect somebody in early sobriety who's, who's just newly getting sober to try to just wing it and just, you know, and, um, to think they can go and be strong enough to do it. You know, you gotta, this is a disease that, um, is cunning, baffling and powerful and will trick you. It'll, it'll deceive you and it'll, you know, your, your own thoughts aren't the truth. Um, to actually, and that's the coolest part of the fellowship is, um, to go in and be able to have a, a, a group of people like-minded on the same path as you, uh, maybe further along it or just starting it um, that you can lean into and um, and have a great time. And I agree with, with what he said. It's like there is there really is. I haven't had any any um, any judgment or any like any awkward moments where somebody was trying to give me something I didn't want or anything awkward happening. Um, I still see the naked people at shows, you know, the people that randomly take their clothes off. I think I've seen more people get naked than I have pass out. So um, it is what it is. And I've kind of learned to let people do what they do. You know, I know I have a lot of friends that still partake of, you know, get drunk and and do whatever they're going to do. And they don't, you know, they don't, you know, people around them don't suffer consequences for what they do. Guys like me and, and Mike, everybody around me suffered consequences when I decided to do this stuff, you know, and I was powerless to stop myself. Like my mom and dad, and my wife, all the people around me, they had consequences because I did this. A lot of people I know can do drugs and party and get down and um, wake up in the morning, shake their head and go, oh, oh, I feel like crap. But they go about their business and their bills get paid and their kids get fed and life is okay. Guys like us, it's just, you know, we're like a, a tornado just ripping through everybody's lives. So, and not today. We're of usefulness and trying to be, even at a show, like trying to be of service. Like, yeah, I'm the, I can drive. I'm sober. We're not going to get <laughs> over and like, you know. It's it's cool. It's I think it's such a neat experience, and to be an adult about it and realize we're all older now, and um, it's just so much different now. It's it's uh, it it really is like church. It's a spiritual experience every time I go, regardless of what other people are doing. I definitely feel that connectiveness of the community now more than ever. 
Yeah, that that's great. I know, um, you know, it's probably worth saying. I mean, we all probably, uh, I can't, Marge, I can't speak for you. I mean, most people these days, I feel like, especially in the fish scene, have connections to people that are close to them who have dealt with addiction uh, issues. I mean, I, I personally have, you know, several very close people in my life who have uh, struggled and, and, you know, been in recovery. Um, and so I, I have a tremendous admiration um, for people like you guys who have been able to overcome, you know, such a horrible disease. And um, one of the things that always blows my mind is, you know, Jason, like you were just saying, the, the number of times that somebody uh, like that has, has been, has like volunteered to be a, a designated driver or something like that. When it would be easy to think that person's like, no, you know what? I want to stay away from this. I'm not going to subject myself to having to deal with a bunch of wasted people or whatever. And instead kind of dive in head first and are like, no, you know what? I can, I can be of service to you guys. I can help you. I can, I can turn this into um, a positive instead of what my, I may have been in the past, which would to have been to, to drag people down. So it's, it's really amazing. Um, you know, I mean, so Trey, Trey has been very public about this and open, as we said uh, at the top of the show, particularly recently, I, I was surprised almost uh, on the serious interview to hear how open he was about things like his pre-show ritual. Um, when he, you know, he mentioned going into the bathroom and kind of trying to reset his thoughts and, and remind himself of where he came from. Um, he, uh, He's also given a lot of you know speeches uh, about the drug court program, and from from what I understand, has made himself available to a lot of people that he's encountered um, a, a, along the way. It's easy for us to look at the the music and maybe kind of point to you know how uh, his experience has influenced the songwriting, and there's a lot of different theories. Um, but you know, sometimes maybe that's um, it, it's it's projecting or it's kind of reading into the situation a little bit too much. Jason, I know you have some thoughts on, you know, particularly what you, th how you think um, we can kind of see some of Trey's experience in his music. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, well, anything with, especially with the disease of addiction and, and Mike hit it on the head pretty good. It's like, there's this, it's like a three faceted illness. There's the body, the mind, and the, the spirit, the soul. Um, your body's affected because you, you literally physically have a body that cannot process alcohol and drugs. And as you get older, it gets worse. It's like, we're just genetically caught this bullet. We're set up this way. Two, you have a brain that's going to lie to you and trick you to going back into it when you don't want to, good day or bad day. And then three is a spirit the spiritual part of it. And that's what 12 step programs address. You, you, you straighten out spiritually and the body and the mind will follow. And for me, and these prefaces, my opinion, I'm not a, a, uh, by any means educated at all on musical theory, anything, but I, I can go back into a lot of Trey's music and just, I, you hear God, you hear this, you hear that, this spirit stuff. And maybe that's just because that's where I'm at in my life. I, I can go back like, um, life boy, you know, God doesn't listen to what I say. And do you get a refund if you overpray? And then, um, sand, like all these songs. And, and that, that's kind of a common theme through a lot of music because music is spiritual at the end of the day. It's about that connectiveness. Um, but we can see it progress. And me and Mike were talking, especially as of recently, um, you know, I saw it on the joy album. You hear a lot of songs talking about being in the now, 
um, you know, light, you know, the light between me and my mind, and all these things that signal that are pointing towards spirituality. But recently, and this is what kind of kicked this off, when I um, listened to some of the podcasts over the summer, the quick hits, where people are like, you know, what's this set your soul free and soul plan and all this, and every, and I can understand that the campiness fairly certain i was part of that conversation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sure. i'm sure and I, and I texted one of my one of my best friends a guy my best friend in the world a guy named ryan kramer and like i'm like what are your thoughts about i, I told him what was going on here about you know these new songs and uh, and he's not one of us he's not a, an alcoholic or an addict and he's like it's all about the jam i don't care what the song's about it's all about the jam and i'm like yeah, i get it it is but for guys that are listening a little bit um i can just hear that progression of going from um, not self-centeredness, but a song from the the viewpoint of self into a song like "Set Your Soul Free," "Soul Planet," "Everything's Right," to to a song of giving, a song of community, of of getting everybody together, and it and it's um and that's what kind of sparked. I, I sent RJ a, an email and said, "Hey, I might have a little bit of different perspective on this," and kind of not here to clear anything up, but just yeah. another, another pair of eyes and ears on what's going on and. And then all of a sudden, bam, we have Trey go on the XM thing and like say, like on my phone, my screensaver is that exact same prayer. And it's been on my phone forever that, that he said it's a prayer of St. Francis. And it's a prayer about, you know, get me out of the way. Get me, let me bring love where there's, where there's hatred. Let me bring, you know, forgiveness and let me be an instrument. And that's what, um, you know, that was very, it really was real touching that he actually was opened up about his process of, of what he does prayer before the, before a show. Um, yeah, that's, that's really cool. Thanks for sharing that. And, um, Jason, I noticed I was listening back to the drug court speech that he gave in 2011, which is really, really good. And we'll link to that in case people haven't seen it. But at one point he said, he's talking about some of the people he met and he, he says the sunlight of the spirit had come into some of these people. And I just noticed that that was just one, one kind of quote, but sort of interesting um, to, to see that. That, that quote, it's, um, it, it comes that's, from, that's of, literature. It's, 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 it comes <laughs> from one of our literature. Okay. When, when we act this way, we cut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. And that means every day, and Mike knows this, I have a choice when I get up in the morning, am I going to turn my turn my face to the sun and to the spirit of the universe, to God, whatever that is you want to you want to call it, or am I going to turn my head towards self and do what I want to do? And if I turn my, my face towards the sun, I get reap the benefits of that and mike knows as well as i do when you see the sunlight of the spirit come into somebody and you watch them recover that is the coolest thing in my life right now i love my children i love my wife and i will do whatever it takes to keep them but to watch the lights come on in another alcoholic or an addict and watch them recover and turn around and help somebody else for a busted up drunk like me who's was hopeless dead that's man you, you want me to drive to fish and Florida, I'll go, whatever you want to do. Like, uh, I'm here to help. I'm here to help. <laughs> Mike, Mike, what are your thoughts on this, on this, on this piece? And actually, sorry, I don't want to interrupt, but I do want to just say that Ryan Kramer, I think was one of our earliest fans and listeners. So I'm, I'm glad to hear his name and that he's, I'm glad he's still out there. He sort of disappeared from Twitter, but I, I hope he's still doing well. That's my boy. Cool. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think there, I, Jason touched on it. The, the lyric that I always go back to about addiction, that is probably the best metaphor I've heard 
in music for it is just if you can if you can't heal the symptoms but not if you can heal the symptoms but not affect the cause it's quite a bit like trying to heal a gunshot wound with gauze and that's i mean that's i feel like trey's addiction song just talking about like okay it's the the metaphor that i heard in treatment before i heard sand was uh yeah it's like putting a band-aid on a bullet wound if you're trying to just patch things up you have to heal the whole self so um i mean for sure and i'm I, I am a little bit more jaded, I think, than Jason about the soul planet and the, all the soul <laughs> stuff. But that's just, you know, that's the type of fish fan I am, I guess. And um, But it is, I mean, it's been clear, even from, you know, got a blank space where my mind should be, got a cliff bar and some cold green tea. I'm like, oh, he's going to meditate somewhere. Yep. Got it. Yeah. Totally on board. Um, and, you know, the, the piece is about, you know, and everything's right about um, going downhill with increasing speed and um, and then focus on tomorrow and all of that. Uh, a lot of the language feels familiar to those of us who would know that language. Does that make sense? It's like being fish itself is like being in a secret club. And then it's like being in the secret club inside of the secret club. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, we, we should say that a lot of the lyrics are written, of course, by Tom and, 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 and some by Tom and Trey collaboratively and then some by the whole band, et cetera. So don't want to make it. We all know that, but I just want to throw that out there. Um, cause, but, but as I mentioned to you, Jason, via email, I've seen, I, when I, read Tom's lyrics, I see an evolution of a different kind, but an evolution, right? From early sort of angst about things to, to more acceptance and, and happiness with where, where things have ended up. And I think Tom and Trey have remained sort of on the same page about that, you know, and they, they both seem to be fairly forward looking and accepting of, of where things are right now, which is, which is really cool to see. Well, the other, the other thing that I would add on top of that is that you, it's, you could probably see a difference in the lyrics that Tom has written, like um, "Sand" and "Kill Devil Falls" and some of the ones we mentioned, where you could you can kind of apply that to the situation, but you could also say that maybe you know the the influence of um, Trey's experience and his his metamorphosis, so to speak, may have you know kind of spilled out and influenced his friend and in, in the interactions that we have that 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 they have um, versus the soul songs, which I believe are all Trey lyrics um and are probably a little bit more on the nose in terms of what you guys are talking about yeah one of the songs i guess one of the the songs i i I look at and i hear every time and i just think of um you know when the when the new guy or woman walks in the door and you and you see him just hurting so bad and you just want to wrap your arms around him listen to the lyrics of tide turns and that's what it that's that's it. That's what it's like to watch somebody coming in. And we said, when the wolf is at your door and the mirror holds your nightmare. And, um, and there's a Jason Isbell lyric that describes that perfectly. You know, I'm stuck in a room with the, the person I judge worse than anybody else. And it's like, you know, when you're, when you're in, the, in the, the depths of alcoholism and addiction, like, you know you're doing wrong and you hate yourself so bad, but you can't stop. And, um, and then you walk into a 12-step group and... Um, and people are there just to put their arms around you and their hands out and and um, to show you the way. And that, that song, Tide Turns, is, just reminds me so much of, of what that's all about. That's really interesting. Um, I hadn't thought about that in the in with regard to that song, but it makes total sense. <laughs> you mentioned it. I, ha- I have a lot of questions for you guys, but I don't, I don't know what's appropriate or, or we have time for. But in the in terms of the. I thought about this when listening to the the serious piece. 
the the thing that's on your phone that he talked about the prayer the saint francis um I, I forget what you called it but the that particular prayer and then when he says letting god out is that like is that specific to christianity or is that something that is more broadly interpreted in whatever way people who are part of some different kinds of programs interpret it if that question makes sense go ahead mike you can just describe this better me probably Sure. Um, I mean, I think the general, you know, the the gist of the St. Francis prayer is just to be be an instrument of your peace. Let me, where there's hate, so love. It's really just about kind of being a light. So although it comes from Catholic tradition, I think, you know, at least in my experience, anyway, it's works for, it can work for everybody with the right lens. Right. I think that's yeah. the that's the that's the big piece. But where there is doubt, faith; where there is despair, hope; where there is darkness, light; and where there is sadness, joy. That's a that's a pretty good reset, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. And I think one of the, the the key parts of that to think about the prayer of Saint Francis is like the mystical part of it. These are truths, whether you want to believe in Christianity or Buddhism or Hinduism or you know, Muslim. This is you live a life based on this thing. You're going to be all right. And the biggest part is um, seek to to understand rather than to be understood. And that's the big thing. Going into a, a situation where it's not about me. I don't need to get my viewpoint across. I don't need to to barrage you with ego and pride and all this. And just be able to to have empathy and sympathy and be like, you know, what is you know real care and concern is. Is, um, and that's where Trey says he does that and walks out on the stage and thinks about that one person there um, trying to get sober. You know? That makes sense. And I, I guess another question you you described, Jason, uh, I don't know if you see the world in this particular dichotomy, but there are people who have, uh, you know, obviously this is a disease that you've dealt with. And I think we all acknowledge that, but is it that some people can go have, <clears throat> go have beers and whatever and be fine. And, and some people can't. And if so, if, how do you know when you're at that point where you can't control or where you, where you know that you need to, to seek help or, um, h- how do you know? Well, for me, it was, there's two questions that I always ask and i you know, I'm actively involved in 12 step and sponsor, sponsor men and, and, and help out a lot and do what I can. Um, but I always want to know, uh, there's two points, choice and control. When you drink or you do whatever you do, if you want to have three, can you have three? Can you have three every time? If you want to have seven, can you have seven every time? Or do you miss the mark? You know, do you go to the, to the bar, to the bar to have a couple beers with the boys? And next thing you know, it's three in the morning and you you think you've changed your mind. You know, something's happened, something internally has happened. And this is, and Mike knows this and he'll probably reiterate it because he's in the, this field that there's only 10 to 15% of the population that have this, you know, why, why did me and Ryan Kramer, right? He's a great example. Why did he, me and him partake, partook in a lot of stuff, great stuff, tons of fun. Why did he why did he, you know, grow up and, and get on with his life? And why did I continue down this path? And it's like, you know, well, he had somewhere to be is what I always say. He had a life mm-hmm. to go live. Um, and I had to go this path, but I just, you know, it's a genetic disorder. We, I caught that, um, that bullet and it's kind of riddled through my family. But, um, so when I, if you can, 
control the amount you take. And the second part is, this is the kicker, is um, when you want to stay stopped, can you stay stopped? When you're, mm-hmm. when you're on your couch crying to your wife or your mom and your dad, and we hook you up to a lie detector test, and it says, um, RJ, will you ever drink again? And you're sitting there sniveling, no, I'll never drink again, I promise. And the lie detector test says, RJ, you are telling the truth. <laughs> but by Sunday at kickoff time, you've snuck out the back door to go get a 12-pack, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because this mind is tricking you back into it. Those are the two things. And underneath that is a whole lot of other stuff. But that's the basis of it. Can you stay stopped when you really want to stay stopped? And when you when you do what you want to do, can you control it? Because there's a lot of people I know that two in the morning, when I thought the party was ready to keep going, they looked at their watch and said, "What? A, I got to go. And put whatever it was that was on the table in their pocket and left. Yep. That's, that's really... Cool and, and really helpful to hear. Mike, do you want to add anything to that? Sure. I, and the, the only other thing I would add, I mean, I think what Jason said was really insightful and, and makes a lot of sense. I think the, the piece that I see that's the, the big differentiator in, in my world tends to be consequences. If you're experiencing consequences, whether they're emotional or legal, which is a lot of the time, or um, really that's the, that's the big piece. And, you know, I think the Jason, what you said is really important. The power of choice is the biggest, that's the biggest thing. If you find yourself not being able to go a day or two without, I mean, it's a good, what I give folks who call me that are looking for help, I'm like, take a week and see if you can't drink or you can't use drugs or you can't do it in a safe way. And if you can't do that, then it might be something you want to take a look at. And that's all I look at it. Like, I mean, I see, um, I see this as, as disease model too. And, and I think of, um, you know, I think of addiction as genetics load the gun and, and environment pulls the trigger. So I know yeah. a lot of people who come from really alcoholic homes who are just have a really normal relationship with substances. And I know people who come from great homes with super supportive parents who are really blown out on drugs by the time they're 18. And, and <laughs> it is what it is, you know, yeah. you can't, you can't predict it. And, um, but I, I look at it, alcohol, alcoholism, addiction tends to be a disease of relationships that when your primary relationship is with the substance, you can't have primary relationships with anyone else. Mm-hmm. And you will work, you build your life around that because, I mean, the, the truth is drugs and alcohol work really well until they don't. And that's the part that we need to get to, right? It's like, okay, if you're, if you're feeling, I, I think the, you know, even though we, we tend to lose a lot of our internal compass when we're deep in our addiction, I think there, there is a piece of anyone who struggled with addiction that knows when you've gotten in too deep. And then it's the question of, all right, how do I ask for help? And that's, that's the bigger piece. So I think the the shame of it kills more people than anything else of having to say I'm struggling, I'm really hurting, I need to get out. That's that's where I that's where I see people get lost. So so you guys did a, a great job of painting the picture of um, what people might look for. Uh, that's probably a good lead into ask the question. Well, then if they hit that point. Um, particularly for a, f- a fish fan, let's keep it somewhat on topic here. Um, what resources exist for them inside of the fish community? I mean, what what advice would you give to somebody who's saying, like, you know, I, I, I think I might have a problem? Mm-hmm. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking... I can't quite believe this is happening. 
Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, so there are a couple of things. One, I mean, we're in the fish off season, as I like to call it, other than Mexico. <laughs> but, you know, really, if you're hearing this now and you're struggling, hit either of us up on Twitter or email me or any of, you know, there there is a good amount of us that are just out here living our lives in a, in a sober way that can get you plugged into somebody locally or if you just need an ear. I mean, my, I keep my DMs open on Twitter just because sometimes people just need to talk. And I, I, th- I know for me anyway, like I, I don't care what condition your condition is in. If you need somebody to talk to, I'm here to talk, you know, and that's, that's the bigger, that's the big piece here. I think it, it feels really scary to, to say I'm really struggling with this or I'm really in a hole and I don't know how I'm going to get out. That's the, that's scarier to say than I'm a drug addict. I think, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's saying, you know, I'm, I'm struggling and I feel like I'm, you know, I'm really in the middle of it and there's, and not seeing the light out. And that I think is where, where that exists at shows and on the internet and on Facebook and all over the place. The fellowship with a pH, um, is a amazing group. I mean, I've been at, we, when we were in Tahoe in 13, there were like 75 people out of a 6,000 person show that were hanging out at the table before the show. And then at set break, there were about 200. I mean, it's all, and you don't have to be in a recovery program. It's just, if you want to try a show sober and you want some support mm-hmm. while you're doing it, um, that's a big deal. Yeah. And then also, you know, this is what I do professionally. So if you need a resource, if you need a therapist, or if you need a treatment center, you can contact me anytime and I will happily get you there. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I thank you for bringing the, the fellowship into it. And it's, and I think I'm the same way. If you, you know, the amount of resources that between Mike and me, like I'm this, I'm on the other side of the country. He's West coast and he knows everybody from West coast, East coast, but my, um, I have the same connections all the way from Texas, all the way up to the East coast. So if there's anybody where you guys are at, that's, I'm the same way. Like my phone's on me all the time. I, you know, whatever you need, if you needed somebody to listen to a connection somewhere to, to try to, to go to, you know, please, I was just, you know, don't, don't let shame and don't let fear stop you from reaching out to one of us, you know, directly. I, it doesn't bother me one bit and not, not at all. And I, I'll speak for Jason too. We'll keep it totally quiet. So if you're reaching out you don't want anybody to know about it, you, nobody will ever oh. know about it. Yeah. Mom's the word. Yeah. Once again, as, as I said earlier, I'm a great admirer. I love anytime I wind up in the hallway. Uh, it just happened at MSG and it happened at Hampton too. And you start hearing everybody, these, these cheers and these chants coming from one part of the hallway. And it's like, what's going on over there? I've got to be a part of that. And I know my, not to make light of it or anything, but my wife loves the fellowship table because she always stops by and gets candy. She's, she's not a, she, she's not a drinker, not, uh, not because of any issues, but because it's just not her bag, but she always stops by and says hi and, uh, and make sure to, to get some candy and look for the yellow balloons. Um, so we talked a little bit about the resources that, that people might find in the community then. Let's talk a little bit about the people who are not on that the, the same journey as you guys. Um, I, and I wanted to share a little bit, little story kind of lead to, to set the scene for the question. Um, I had kind of two opposing experiences uh, when Fish came back in uh, 2009. And leading up to that in 2008, I don't know if you guys remember this, but Trey, his first tour back before Fish came back after he had been in drug court was um, he did a, a 
tour with um, just the the rhythm section from Tab, um, and they played small venues, and it seemed like the the purpose was to get Trey back on his on kind of get his sea legs again for for playing on stage and stuff because it had been a couple of years. And I went to the last show on that tour, which was in Richmond at the National, and saw him walk out on stage with this huge beaming smile on his face. And they they launched into the first song and he was jumping up and down. And I turned to my friend Doug standing next to me and I, I said, God, I don't think I've ever seen anybody so happy to be on stage playing music as he is right now. Even, you know, despite all the times that I had seen Trey play before that, it, there was just this unbelievable light about him. Um, he, We found out later in the show that his wife and kids were at the show. So I think that the whole kind of thing, you know, uh, the, the, that point in his life and having his family there and everything, it really was like the perfect storm of happiness for him. So I was really excited when Fish came back. Fast forward to the following summer and really for the first couple years of the 3.0 era when the band was kind of getting, you know, trying to jive again a little bit. And we all know, we've talked about this before, they you know weren't necessarily jamming as much. And uh, even Trey said in this recent Sirius interview that he thought that it took them till, you know, probably 2012 or 2013 to really, you know, hit their stride again. And I started seeing all these comments um, on the internet and from people who would say things like, you know, Trey's sober, so he just can't jam anymore. Or Trey just needs to loosen up. He needs to smoke some weed or drop some acid before a show. You know, that's not the stuff that he had problems with. He needs to do this stuff so he can loosen up. And I was so shocked having had that experience before of like witnessing this man and his transformation and how happy it was that people who supposedly, you know, this community that loves him, that that people would say something like that and disrespect him as a person and as a family man and really turn it into this selfish kind of like, you know, you have to do what I want. So, you know, put, put your, your health in jeopardy again. And the reason why I said all that is, you know, I wanted to ask what, what is it that other fans in the community can do and should be doing um, to be respectful to people on a re- on a recovery journey. And um, uh, do you have any advice for anybody? I think you guys would probably admit, and you sort of have already. Like the expectation is not that when you walk into a crowd, everybody needs to you know put their beers away and 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 not do anything that you wouldn't do, um, and and you know kind of like, you know, drain the life out of the party or anything like that. That's, that's yours to, to kind of be able to enter that scene and, and know that you can handle yourself. But is there an attitude that you think needs to change among the crowd? Or is there anything, you know, that people can do to be more supportive? Um, Jason, why don't we start with you? Um, you know what? I don't think so. I think at least for, for my, my experience is that it's about the attitude and the perception I'm bringing to the to the venue, to the show itself. Am I coming in here um, on edge, like, okay, what's going on around me? Or am I coming in there spiritually centered, like everything's going to be okay? And I've never had, you know, there was some stuff going on behind us at Rosemont that, you know, white powder substance that I used to really like, and it's going down. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, they, they're probably, they're okay. It's no big deal. It's like, I wasn't like, put your drugs away. You're really <laughs> bothering. You're, you're triggering me. You know, it, it wasn't. Um, I think when you were saying that the, the thing that popped into my mind really is like anytime in life, you know, the biggest amount of change we can affect is, is in our personal relationships. It's like, as a whole, I think that the community is supportive, um, with what's going on. Um, I've never seen anything, um, go down, 
at all um, bad at a show as far as respecting somebody's sobriety because I'm not walking around a show saying, no, thank you. I don't want that beer. I'm sober. You know, um, just no, no, thanks. We had a guy walk by us. He had a big, like huge, they, they sell hard alcohol at Rosemont. He had this big, like Captain Morgan, <laughs> hey, you want a drink? And I'm like, no, nah, we're cool. And it was two, <laughs> two, two recovered alcoholics. Like, no, nah, we're, we're okay. And it's just, it's laughing, you know, just, um, but I think for me, what I would say to the fish fans out that are listening that, that have somebody in their life that's struggling with addiction is hold them accountable. I think that's a big thing that, that prohibited me from getting sober a long time ago was my family and the people around me loved me, almost loved me to death because they just wanted me to be happy and just kind of skate, skate around and kind of not address the issue because there were some issues with them and just some family stuff. Um, I think the thing that I would say is just, you know, if you really love somebody, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is apathy. Of just hold, putting your hands up saying, you know, you're going to do what you're going to do and I can't do anything about it. And I just think that's bullshit. I think mm-hmm. we have a we have a responsibility to others, um, whether it's alcoholism and addiction or any kind of mental health or anything in life, whether whatever it is, I think we do owe it to each other to hold each other accountable to say, hey, this is not cool. You know, you need to you need to figure this out. And, um, you know, I was always taught sometimes we got to bring the bottom to them. We can't wait for them to come down and pain. Mike knows this. The only thing that ever motivates guys like me and Mike is pain. Even today, like I'm on this, I'm on a spiritual path and it's good. It's bad. It's indifferent. It goes up and down. But the one thing that motivates me to adjust my course is holy shit. This is painful. I need to, what am I doing wrong? What do I need to adjust? Um, and, and do like a, an inventory of myself of what's going on. Um, so that would be it for me is more than anything is if you know somebody in your life that is suffering from alcoholism and addiction, um, look at the past of holding them accountable, whether it's an intervention, whether it's just sitting down and then face to face saying, I love you, but I'm not going to watch you kill yourself because, um, and like you said, you to people that, that are so selfish and they want another person to, to adjust who they are, to meet their selfish needs, uh, especially when they're an, an addict like Trey, and like we're we're blessed to, that Trey is, is able to go on stage every night because it it um it got dark and it got bad and um, it could be a whole different story today. We could all not be here and we could be mourning the loss of one of the greatest guitar players ever. You know, it really could be that way. And that's doom and gloom, but um, you know, thank God somebody held him accountable and it was the judicial system. And like he's we saw he's very grateful for that mm-hmm. you know, whatever it takes some some of us are arrested you know some of us are <clears throat> you know right so what do you got mike <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i remember when when fish came back and there was all the yeah they don't jam anymore what's the deal what's going on about trade needs to yeah needs to drop acid and go i remember those conversations and having them like pre-show and then uh yeah then, then it really just depended on what the opener was and then it was fine but um <laughs> Really, I mean, I think the the big piece to remember for me that, and I I tweeted this earlier today because somebody had posted it's trades twelve years today, and um, mm-hmm. and when we're recording this, and you know, I was thinking about we're we're in the bonus round, yeah. Like fish yeah. should be gone. This is you know this is what you know. You look at the dead, right? We they could still be playing today if. Jerry had gotten sobriety and gotten that gift. And, um, you know, I think about, 
I think about all that stuff and it puts into perspective whether party time or not was pl- was played or not. And, um, you know, and it puts into perspective all my, you know, the stuff that I think about, like, oh, I had to miss this show because I had this commitment or I had to miss, you know, or this show was it was kind of off or it was a little blah. But it's like, well, we still have shows and that's that's pretty amazing. And we still get that experience and that in his sobriety, Trey has continued to do this for us. You know, this and for him, I think that's the big part. I think the the part for me that feels the best about 3.0, the thing that feels the most important about 3.0 to me is it feels like Trey is here and this is what he wants to do and he's going to do it until he's done. And that's amazing because I don't know if that was always the case. You know, it's hard when you're on tour and you're running a machine and you're making sure 100 people get paid every month. It's hard. And now I think it feels like he's settled into a groove and is in a better spot. And it's allowed the music to flow a little bit better. I think it also just takes time. You know, you take time off, you go back to do something, it takes time to balance. But, um, and at shows, I think that the thing that's always worked for me in almost any social situation is just to say, I'm not drinking tonight. And people generally don't ask me any questions about that. And then if they want to ask questions about it, I will happily tell them why. And, you know, why? here's my entire story. I'm kidding. I won't tell you my whole life story. But, um, but there is like there is a piece of that where you can you can disclose as much or as little as you want. And at shows, I think, you know, I get offered and it's just saying, you know, not tonight, but thanks. And that's worked. That's worked well for me. Um, and look for yellow, yellow pins and yellow balloons in the crowd. Mm-hmm. If you're struggling and you're sitting there and, and my role with my crew that I tour with is no powders. Everything else is fine. That's just for me. I'm like, I, mm-hmm. I if I see powders on a table, I get triggered after 15 years, it still comes up. And I'm like, that's, that's my general rule. And what I've learned is that when you set a boundary, most people will respect it. And if they don't, then they're probably not people you want to be seeing the show with anyway. So yeah. that's that's the big piece, and um, and yeah, and if you have somebody you're concerned about, like Jason, what you were talking about, and and you want to know more about how to have that conversation, and those those are the conversations that I have almost every day, just professionally and then also personally. So um, happy to walk you through it. It's like anything else; it's terrifying if it's the first thing you did, but you've got two guys here on the phone that have been doing this, that have these conversations that are used to that, and and I think about. Um, you know, trying to deal with addiction or trying to deal with a family member with addiction is like if I slid a piano across to you and said, play me Beethoven's fifth right now. It's like, well, why do I, why would I know how to do this? Mm-hmm. And, but if I said, okay, in a year after you've had some practice and you've had somebody leading you on your journey, you're probably going to do okay. And if you don't, you're probably going to know I put in the effort and I did the best I could. So it's okay to ask for help about this stuff. And there are a lot of people out there who are the helpers. And, you know, it's the old Mr. Rogers saying, always look for the helpers because we're here and we're around. And, you know, and sometimes we're, we don't want to be interrupted during a tweezer jam to talk about your heroin addiction, but I will talk to you afterwards. I have no problem with that. <laughs> Time and place for everything. I can neither <laughs> confirm nor deny that that has happened. So that's uh... <laughs> it's like, uh, thank you for sharing, but the band's on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ooh, I want that shirt. That's a good shirt. I'm writing that yeah. down right now. Yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd have been like, I'm pretty sure you're not going to be going anywhere. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. We'll get to it later. (laughs) 
Well, guys, this is this has been really fascinating, and right, we could go on forever, but but we we shouldn't in the interest of um, you know our families and also maybe our listeners. But people, I'm sure, have enjoyed what we've been able to talk about so far, um, and I really. I want to just say I, I share Matt's admiration, you know, for you guys for for not just living through this and and doing what you have to do, but also being willing to talk about it and and going out and going into environments like fish shows. That it, it's interesting to me that you don't have to leave your whole life behind. I guess that's like a stereotype that's in my head that if you get sober or you change whatever you used to do, that you kind of people move or they don't hang out with the same people or that sort of thing. But it's, it's good that you guys are not, that you don't have to lose this big part of your life that, that has meant so much to you and now does again. And it's meant more to me in recovery than it ever did before, to be <clears throat> totally frank. Like it's a way, I think just a sense of community and actually kind of knowing who I am versus the person I showed you when I was using, actually knowing who I am and being able to show up in that way feels way better than just going to a show and getting super loaded and then having to look at the set list to remember what they played three minutes after the show was over. So that, mm-hmm. that part, you know, that still happens now that I'm getting older, but it's, at yeah, least there's an different. excuse for it. That's but, yeah. <laughs> and I think Trey, Trey shares that same feeling almost. I think he said almost that exact same thing. So it's, it's, that's really cool. And Jason, thanks for, you know, bringing this up to us and, and, and encouraging us to, to talk about this. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you guys for doing it. Um, it's been fun, and it's like like we said earlier. Hopefully, we can get a uh, hook a couple people and get them uh, get them connected. You know, try to be of service somehow here. So, right on. Well, I think we'll we'll leave people with some music. I think the only thing I want to say is just thanks everybody for listening. And if you have thoughts, feedback, comments, and and all that, obviously send them to us via Twitter, email, Facebook, whatever you prefer to use. And We will link to both Mike and Jason's Twitter accounts in here and talk about, and and we'll link to some of the resources they talked about as well. Matt, Matt, what else do we need to say before we wrap up? Uh, Nothing else. I mean, I'll just echo that. Thank you guys so much um, for for sharing, for being uh, great, uh, you know, role models uh, for for people out there who might be struggling for offering yourselves um, to help. And um, we talked about this, you know, in the lead up to to recording today. But, um, you know, if this uh, helps one person out there, um, then, you know, hopefully it's not just been informative, but it's also been of of service to the community. So um, really appreciate you guys, uh, you know, coming on and, and, and sharing with us absolutely thanks for having us guys yeah thank you so much all right guys and so with that we will see you all back here in a couple of weeks where we will continue to talk about fish so have fun out there and uh, keep on rocking
everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!
Hey, you. Did you have any plans this year? Ha! <laughs> How's that going? Did you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at Tuesday. 020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app.